right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Friday Lives, a weekly casual chat with content creators from different backgrounds about everything live streaming. This show is powered by Restream Studio. If you want to create professional live streams with video pre-rolls, overlays, community comments, guests, all that kind of great stuff, you can check us out right here at restream.io slash studio. Speaking about guests, my guest today is Dr. Matthew Stevenson. He's a global influencer, the founder and senior pastor of All Nations Worship Assembly. Dr. Stevenson, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be on and to share my experiences and insight about the power of the digital landscape and live stream. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. This is really exciting. This is a very special show. It's the first time we have somebody from uh, faith-based organizations talking about live streaming. Wow. And yet it is a big, it's a big uh, part of what live streaming today is. And it's extremely exciting for me. I have so many questions for you. For everyone watching today, please make sure that you add your comments in the chat. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Periscope, which is our Twitter account wow. and my personal life, LinkedIn Life channel. Yeah. So wherever you are, please stop by, say hello, add some comments and questions for Dr. Stevenson if you have any, whether you're a small church, big church, um, any kind of faith-based organizations, or even none of those things. And if you have questions for him, please add them and we will take them in the middle of the show. So what we are going to start with is uh, we're going to do a little bit of time traveling today. So we'll talk about the past, we'll talk about the future, and we will start with uh, a quick introduction and maybe a quick story of your journey as a pastor. And maybe you can cover how the church service and preaching in general was different back uh, when you were a child or maybe when uh, your spiritual journey started. Sure. So this is my 16th year of pastoral ministry. And in November, I'll be preaching 21 years. So there was a very small stint of difference between when I was preaching, when I was pastoring, and those are not the same. Uh, I thought they were, but they are absolutely not. Communicating versus leading are two different conversations and discussions. And so I've learned a lot. Our journey was very, very, very unique in that we did not have organizational support. We didn't have a lot of financial support. And when we first started on, a lot of what we were doing was shunned in an inner city context. And so we have been we had been pushing for technology and innovation and the significance of the internet for years before this happened. And so mm -hmm. the, it was treated as if it was unnecessary, not godly, all of that stuff. And so we've had quite the journey with, with pioneering, I'd like to say, the necessity of messaging across the internet and the landscape all the way back from we were I was joking with a couple of my pastors the other day from Black Planet to MySpace to Facebook to Twitter to all of those platforms that we chose to message on and it's landed us here today. So it's been about 16 years that we have tried to broadcast on whatever avenues we could to make sure that the message got across, but also that we could get the type of reach back. I think the, the complication of it is when you're thinking about messaging across digital landscapes, it's about output. But for me, it's more about reach back because output doesn't guarantee anything. It's about how you can guarantee or quantify engagement. 
Awesome. Yeah, that's excellent. So one of the things that you uh, talk about in All Nations uh, Worship Assembly, and I'm going to display the website in just a second here so people can check out your YouTube channel mm -hmm. as well as your website, is uh, that uh, your church is a contemporary worship. How would you define contemporary worship? Contemporary worship is this. I have a background in professional education. And the way I explain this is this way. When you stand up to preach or to sing, it is the extreme complexity of imagining having to get up and give a message or some form of oratory to people who are preschoolers all the way up to PhDs and, and graduates and finding one message that hits everybody with the same uh, level of impact. That's a very complex thing to do. You do that with messaging, with experience, and even with singing. And so when I say contemporary, how effective or efficient is what you're putting out, hitting everybody from every experience and every walk of life. I think sometimes in an attempt to be effective, some people put out information and or content for a specified audience, but it's not broad enough to hit everybody the same way. So whenever we're preparing content, whatever it looks like, we're trying to imagine what a preschooler and a professional uh, doctor be impacted by this in the same way and how can we package it in such a way where it, where it is equally as impactful. Awesome. Yeah, that's actually uh, one thing that I always like to think about when someone is professional in any type of thing that they're doing. This mm -hmm. is a great measurement of your knowledge, of your expertise. If you can explain what you do to mm -hmm. a five-year-old and also to someone with PhD, Correct. if I can explain what's live streaming to my little niece and also to uh, someone with academic mm -hmm. degree, that means I know what, I, what I'm doing, Correct. right? So this Correct. is, yeah, this is very powerful. Yeah. Um, so why do you believe that, why do you believe churches need live streaming and just any faith-based organizations uh, today? Awesome question. When we went into the earlier parts of the year and had to prepare, I jokingly say to my staff, we are essentially a full-time movie company right now. <laughs> and But what it means is that the opportunity is we can now legitimately reach for people that are beyond who we've been reaching for. And what it means is that the opportunity is that when you are pastoring and preaching and narrating and messaging on a Sunday to Sunday basis with regular attendees and uh, with a couple of new visitors, you focus and aim your energy and your media efforts at retaining them. But in, a, uh, in an environment like where we're living in, we're now having to cast the net, hoping that it reaches beyond who was in front of us before. So I think the broader issue is who we want to really reach. And it needs to be that we're reaching beyond who we had been reaching. And we need to use the medium of the World Wide Web to do. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's it's so powerful these days. And yeah, it's amazing how not many churches are taking advantage of that. And right. I will talk about like growing your audience strategy and how like you guys were definitely mm -hmm. very successful in that based on your following on your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would love to start at the beginning when you realize that you want to work on your digital uh, strategy and online presence uh, for yourself as a spiritual leader, as well as for your church. Mm -hmm. How did that work start for you? Where did you begin? If I'm honest, it began pre-influence. When we started to explore what 
the internet and the digital landscape and virtual ministry looked like, we were not as influential as we are now. It began from the place of curiosity. What if there are more people to reach? What if we could be known in other countries? What if there would be people that considered us their primary source of spiritual teaching and education and formation? That curiosity led me to some, what I think is minor investment to try to explore, but also investigate what we could do and achieve if we would put some minor investment into trying to figure out if there was a way to reach the world from the rooms we were in. Let me, I'm, I'm trying to mute myself, so I, <laughs> I give you the audio space here. Yeah, that's excellent and very powerful. So when you started with, with live streaming, it's, for a lot of people, it's a daunting and challenging task. Like even for me, who is quite you know, in tune with digital technology and internet in general. Um, I'm pretty young, so my generation was like raised with internet around for as long as I remember myself. For many people, it's not that easy. So what were some challenges that you experienced when you started uh, live streaming your service and how did you overcome them? There was a couple of challenges. I'll give you two categorically. Number one, the technical challenge of trying to learn how to function in tandem with sound and camera and production, which are issues that the traditional urban church don't necessarily explore. I think sometimes there's this um, misunderstanding or misconception that to explore that makes you less spiritual. But we had to investigate and also profile technicality, camera quality, internet quality, uh, production, timing, and all of those things. The second barrier that we had to undergo, which is um, actually a very, very, very profound one, which is the generational barrier. Who will be watching at what length of time, at what age, and will they be tuned in long enough to give us feedback from how well put on a production actually was? All of that were very important case studies of the power of streaming and the power of uh, digital ministry and virtual ministry and all of that. We didn't want to build a quote unquote millennial church. That was not our intent. We wanted to be able to bridge every generation, but there are generations before us that have no concept of online ministry, digital platforms and all of that stuff. They have to ask their grandkids to show them and teach them how to reach on and how to watch on and if it's working. So it, we had to explore and do a back and forth double dutch on what was effective and what was not. But we based our effectiveness, though, not on a aesthetically pleasing production, but on the analytics. Who reached back? How long did they stay? How long were they on? Awesome. awesome. Makes perfect sense. So let me ask you this question. I was always interested in that. So worship themed and religious TV programming has been around for quite a while, right? There's no news about religious TV. People know about that. There are special channels. Mm -hmm. Some people obviously raised, were raised on those channels and there right. are presenters that are known from uh, worship TV programming. Mm -hmm. How is streaming on social media different from that traditional broadcasting approach? It's different mainly, in my opinion and estimation, because of the commenting. When we had the days of TBN and when we were dealing with when TV was monopolizing the live stream broadcast approach, you didn't know what people were thinking, what people needed, or what people were feeling. It's different in social media that the main impact of it or the main intent of it is back and forth engagement. 
And so while they're watching us on live stream, on a Facebook, on a YouTube, on an Instagram, on a Twitter, they're constantly outputting their questions, their comments, their concerns, their desires, their needs, their affirmations and validations, or their criticism. And so you have to create a response plan and a response strategy for the commenting of what your audience is. That's the major difference. TV was not as social as what people think. Social media is 100% different is because now we're reaching back and forth to people that we may never ever see. How do you run those feedback loops? Like, is your service, is your worship interactive? So do you like basically take comments in the middle of your worship or do you basically come back and then respond to the comments and try to reach out to people who interacted with the, with the worship service? So we have team members that are readily available for whenever people comment. And so if the comment necessitates an answer, there is a live virtual team member who's there and present and ready to answer whatever the conversation is or whatever the questions are that way. And, and the reason that's important is for engagement. When you start talking about digital streaming and output, people need to put a lot of premium on engagement because it's not just about who's watching, it's about who's engaged. And everybody who's watching may or may not be as engaged. I don't think we need to just look at viewership. We need to look at how many people we can retain and make them a part of what we do and who we are for future productivity. Awesome. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. How does your streaming setup look today? Do you have crazy number of cameras, microphones, lights, or is it still relatively simple? How does it look when you go live? Uh, so fun fact about me is that I'm not a very technical person, but I believe in right. the power of it. So where I go is I'm willing to invest whatever it takes to be up to par. I would not say it was simple to any, any degree. <laughs> the cameras we bought, the lights we bought, the all of it, the backdrops, the LEDs, all of it that it takes to have an interesting or a captivating production. It's taken lots of money. And so I don't know exactly the types of cameras and all of that. I just sign off on the approvals when they convince me, persuade me that it needs to be done. But I would not say it's a simple issue and a simple decision, which is what I think most spiritual leaders will wrestle with is because they think it should be more simple than what it is. But it is not a particularly this year. Uh, it's not a simple issue. You have to uh, make sure. And this has been uh, a major coaching point for me to my team is we're fighting against routine and monotony. We are all landing on the same platforms. And so there is a risk that what we're outputting can be white noise. How do you distinguish and distinctify what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're producing against all of the thousands of other people that are putting stuff out, even at the same time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is almost like you have some kind of competition. Do you see that there is some kind of a digital competition between different churches that are uh, actively exploring their digital presence? Do you see you have to, if like any businesses, like a startup company, like Restream is trying to get users, right? Do you feel like you have to captivate the audience um, and compete with other churches for that? I don't know that I would say it was a competition. I would say that there needs to be different or varied amounts of effort for long-term captivation. If I have a remote control and I'm changing channels to try to figure out what I want to watch, 
the one that is most distinct and excellent is the one that's going to get my long-term view. And I think that when it comes to the issue of being online and, and all of that, we're dealing with a world and a culture that has a remote control in their hand and they're scrolling and scrolling to figure out what's most distinct. So I don't know that it's a matter of competition, but it is a matter of distinction. If you want to be able to retain people's attention, you've got to be distinct and you've got to be different from what already exists. Yeah, absolutely. We touched base on this a little bit already, but I would like you to maybe elaborate a little more on how the pandemic and COVID-19 affected the way you lead the church and run the service, because for a lot of businesses were affected. A lot of communities were affected in the most profound way. But mm. churches are among the ones that were affected the most, right? Uh, when most states and cities have ordinance that people cannot gather in, in large congregations, that is what you know the whole bread and butter of church is. Like, so how did your leadership change uh, to uh, respond to that? Dramatic is an understatement. We were not unfamiliar with the internet terrain. So we were already flirting around and investing in media production and all of that stuff. I think how it most impacted us on a leadership level was figuring out how to speak to, teach to, direct non-responsive cameras. The inner city church was not trained to handle production and preaching and teaching with rooms that, that you could not certify or guarantee an audience. And so when we started talking to lenses and cameras and all of that, I think it was a challenge for everybody in America because it was very, very different. We thrive off of the energy, the camaraderie, the feeling, the morale of the room. But when the room was taken away from us, what we had to now do is figure out a new relationship with an invisible audience. Uh, mentally, psychologically, I think that messed with a lot of people. And then having to hurry up and figure out how to prepare your team for said such challenge. What do we do? How are we preparing this message or production for people that we don't know? In the church, typically, we create worship experiences and environments for who we know, the familiar. We've now been preaching to, singing to, producing for the unfamiliar. And so I think that was the biggest challenge for everybody in uh, the pandemic. We were not prepared necessarily, but it was not a huge challenge for us to invest in production. That's not the story of the average church in our inner city context. They were unprepared um, because they did not think that, and I want to say this very specifically, media, internet ministry, the digital platforms, response engagement was worth the financial investment to make sure it was profitable or meaningful for the overall goals of the organization. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's it's extremely uh, fortunate for those churches who already had that digital strategy and live streaming experience mm -hmm. and skills that they were able to immediately stay relevant and stay connected with their communities. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, for a lot of churches, like, like I said, we didn't have time to prepare because nobody got a warning. Nobody sure. was told, hey, this is coming in three months. Gear up, guys. Like it was mm -hmm. literally just falling on everybody and you had to adapt. That was great. So 
let's talk a little bit about future here. So if we're trying to imagine a post-pandemic, post-COVID time, what is the future of live streaming for religious organizations, in your opinion? I don't think we should ever again abandon the resources that it takes to reach those that are not in front of us. There's a level of contentment when you have a present audience. There's a level of routine, regularity, rhythm even. But I think that I think what this has taught all of us, not just faith leaders, but anybody that speaks, anybody that is a content creator, I think what it's taught us is we also have to be mindful of who we're not reaching, the people that we want to reach. So it's about the target audience, but it's also about the ideal audience, and those are not the same. Those that consistently and rhythmically come to you, that's your audience. That's who knows you, who believes in you, who follows you, who um, can verify and validate what you say, what you think, your thought leadership. But then there are also audiences that you've not had, and there are also people that don't know you and people that are shocked when they learn, there's lots of people that watch what we do and say, where have we been? You know, are you new? And I'm like, no, we're 16 years old. We're just new to you. So I think what one of the lessons that it's taught us is you never want to get comfortable with your current reach. And you want to always design a strategy for who else needs to hear what you have to say and or offer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is so true for pretty much any industry, but it is such a great message for churches and worship organizations because sure. they need to embrace that. They need to see yes. that, yeah, you have to stay consistent and you have to stay hungry in, in some case. Sure. Don't be satisfied with with where you are right now. I have one more question for you. There's so many questions in the chat regarding okay. growing your audience, which we'll definitely cover. This is going to okay. be our second part of the stream. Sure. One, one question I have for you is for smaller churches, think about the smallest congregations. I'm sure you guys started somewhere small as well. Like no one is big church uh, on day one. So for those small churches that are limited in their resources to run the live streaming operations is it's quite a challenge. You have to have gear, you have to have software, you have to have people with right skills. So how does um, a small church, how can it tackle that? What would be your advice for someone who is small but still wants to benefit from digital presence? I would say you have to make a budgetary priority on what's really important. In my coaching or my mentoring of leaders of smaller organizations, I very often challenge them on what they think is priority. Is the building priority? Is reach priority? When deciding what you want to be priority to determine your reach, you're going to have to decide your investment. And you may not be able to put on this world-class production. And that may or may not be your goal. But you do need to decide what's important to you. And if you are a small entity and no longer want to be that way or you don't want that to be the lifespan of your organization, then you have to prioritize the power of publication and the power of media to get it out there. Sometimes smaller organizations prioritize community. So the way we reach, it's in reach, it's, it's uh, the, the way we gather and our ability to relate one to the other. And while that's fine, you also want to make it known to broader audiences that is your value system and vision because then they become attracted to what you do and who you are. So I think it's a matter of, of priority and investment. We were willing to riskily invest in the unknown, which is scary if I'm honest. You just the unpredictable is scary for any leader. But we were willing to invest and so we were not destabilized in any way from a media standpoint when we went into this quarantine and pandemic. So I would say it's a matter of revisiting what is really important to you 
and uh, what you're willing to do to get where you want to go. Yeah. And as you grow, the opportunities will grow. The resources will sure. grow. The number Absolutely. of volunteers available to help you with your streams Precise. will grow. So this is one of those things when you can have to get started, prioritize those resources, and then mm -hmm. you will start getting the return on investment. It's going to happen if you do Correct. it right. And if you don't do it right, do it again. And eventually Correct. you'll find that, that balance. Correct. Let me reintroduce you for those who's just joining. Sure. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Matthew Stevenson. He's a global influencer, the founder and a senior pastor of All Nations Worship Assembly. He's based in Chicago and he's joining us here in live stream studio, but, but powered by Restream. I'm going to go ahead and get some questions from the chat because there's so many questions regarding community growth and everything. While I have some questions of my own, I would love to prioritize them first. And then if there's something that they haven't asked, we will cover that later. Okay. Uh, so Charles from YouTube here is asking, do you combine church services with your live stream together? So basically, do you is it one thing, your service uh, stream and maybe some other of your teaching and your preaching? Yes, we've done both and. Earlier on, when we went into quarantine, we were not combining the two, but the point is we learned how to do both. If there was necessity for a production where we maybe rented out a space or use one of our buildings to come up with an environment or an opportunity to record a message, we'd learn how to do that. That was a challenge because we were used to doing both, which is combining the church service with the live stream. So we learned how to do both. And I think that people need to know that there is no penalty with learning how to do both. There will be environments that will be reasons or issues that just need production, but there will be other issues that need to, or other reasons, I'm sorry, to broadcast and output the corporate worship experience. So I think you need to learn how to be ambidextrous and learn how to do both. Awesome. Great. Great question from Chris here from Facebook. What have you seen is the best return on investment for your advertising dollar? That's a great question because it's like slightly different from our like live streaming conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, do you advertise and, and how do you measure ROI? What is a good way to spend money if you're a church in terms of ads? There is immense uh, power in graphic attention in videography and photography. I was not always an avid believer of that. That's relatively new for me and what we do. And that was in effort to be a good steward over the resources that we had. However, when it comes to the subject of advertising or pushing a message, you can't underestimate the power of a great graphic, the power of a great video, and the power of great photography. So I would say when it comes to that, you need to make sure that that's quality, but you also need to be very deliberate about who you're aiming for. I think poor advertisement is too broad. If you don't have a, a specific type of person, type of story uh, that you're trying to reach, you're going to create some ambiguous, vague communication method, and it's not going to be as effective as you need it or, or want it to be. So I think you need to invest in those three areas, but also invest in some form of research or some form of intentionality on who you're intending to reach. Awesome. So many great questions. One more from Chris here is just like, he asks the best questions. So I'm going to take a couple from him. What adjustments have you made to your streams to reach younger people? We talked about this generational gaps. We talked about how the technology is already um, slightly limiting certain categories of people because it's more accessible for younger people versus people of older generations. What kind of adjustments do you make um, in order to, to reach younger people though? So how does it work for you? So beyond production quality, uh, 
that was a challenge for what we do because 70% of our movement, we're one church, but we're in 20 locations. And uh, about 70% of our movement is um, the millennial generation. So we do have older people. We call them the champions. But the majority of them are already, I would say the primary adjustment we had to make was interaction. So for example, while we're live streaming, people 32 maybe and under, they have questions, lots of them. And so what we created was a conversational space during our production where there could be people on standby that could help direct them to websites, direct them to resources, direct them to areas of information, bodies of information, or even give feedback on the teachings and the messages. My studies show that generation does not prefer distant production. And so what they want is to be able to feel like they are seen and or heard and just not another number on the viewership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting how a lot of times you would think it's more difficult to engage older generations, but actually with all the modern life and like all the options sure. and choices that people have, younger people sure. are sometimes more difficult to attract to, to religious organizations. So yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great tip. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. uh, question from Thomas here from YouTube. What ways have you found to be helpful to create and curate interaction that goes beyond uh, the usual niceties? Anything in live streaming aspects or in general, in the way how you approach, how you approach your leadership and teaching. So our goal has been retention. And what that means is that if you are a first time viewer, if you are somebody that has never seen what we do or what we have to say or who we are, after we've noticed that you start to follow and watch, we want to now create community, whether that's virtually or physically, we want to create community and we want to make opportunity for you to relate to other people that are finding out what you're finding out, learning what you're learning and being intrigued by or captured or captivated by what you've seen as well. So I think the goal should be to organize and arrange and curate a community because I think then you can really see your effectiveness. It's not effectiveness when you just have high numbers on viewership. And I think we need to get our minds away from that because if we can't transform that or translate that into organizational meaningfulness, then it didn't really do what it should have done for us. So I think that we need to create communities of people that can be loyal to and committed to the data we're outputting. Awesome. What are your best tips for increasing engagement? Like we talked about how engagement is the key compared to just views and reach. How do you, how would you recommend churches and worship organizations to really tackle that problem and be successful in engaging their communities? I would say you need to put more investment around things that is just not messaging. So we would do challenges. We would do talk shows. We would do things that necessitated the question because that's the most common engagement. But I think it needs to just not be, and I'm saying this even as a professional lecturer, it needs not to just be a production on a lecture where you got this one channeled, one routed uh, stream of information. It needs to be where even sometimes a producer needs to ask questions to provoke or to permit uh, response and reach back and stuff about that. I think it also needs to be safely controversial. I don't think that content creators should avoid current issues and current topics. I think they should hit hot topics if the news is hitting it 
we should hit it. And when you hit it, you probably evoke greater reaction and response because of the issues that are going on in current society. So I just think make it beyond the preaching, make it beyond the teaching, build it beyond just having something to say. And I think if a content creator or a content creating organization reaches to learn their organization, they will get engagement. I, I love your advice on avoiding um, or not avoiding controversial topics and controversial conversations. I think this is definitely a great way to build engagement no matter what you do, for because sure. it is very easy to stay in a safe space, okay. right? In a comfort zone for everybody. It sounds like it's a logical right way, right? Let's not say anything wrong. Let's not do anything outrageous. Let's not do anything that will turn some people down. Sure. But at the same time, the controversial conversations are the real conversations and that's what Correct. people really want to be involved Absolutely. and want to be engaged. So yeah. I love that advice. It's, yeah. uh, it's really great to hear that. Uh, well, then a part of what it also does is refines your audience. You learn right. through controversy who's really listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If people are liking the same thing, whatever you say, that is not necessarily the type of, of, of engagement that you want. You want people to say, Hey, I hate this. I don't agree Correct. with you. Like that's, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good thing to, to have as a conversation with your community. Uh, I love this streaming question. Uh, what do you do pre-service for your streams? Like, how do you prepare before you go live? That's great. Countdown shows. What we hugely believe in at All Nations Worship Assembly is anticipatory excitement. So what we do is before we have scheduled a production, whether it's Sunday or during the week, we start streaming at least seven to eight minutes before the scheduled time with different content that has nothing to do with what we're about to put out. That countdown is amazing because what happens is people start logging on like, oh my God, I didn't know it was started already. Did I miss it? FOMO, fear of missing out. And so we captivate that and we use that, we leverage that by showing other content, countdown, band music, what light shows, whatever we have to do to make sure that people are prepared for the actual live stream. I don't think that the real power is in the start time. I think it's seven to eight minutes before the start time when your audience starts to gather for the show. Awesome. That's great advice. I'm going to use this. I love that. <laughs> that helps me because, yeah, I, I agree with you. In the beginning, the first couple of minutes, people are just like getting situated and trying Correct. to understand what's going on. If you give them some food for thought, make some Correct. something to start them uh, to get engaged, start thinking, start preparing their questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, it needs to be such that by the time the actual start date of your production is there, that you already have an audience waiting for whatever you're about to do. Absolutely. There is a restream question, but I want it to become a Dr. Stevenson question at the same time. So the question is, how can you create interaction and community among folks who are watching at different on different platforms? I know that you guys choose to go to multiple platforms when you stream. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to for you to comment like why you made this decision, why you don't focus on just one channel, but go to multiple platforms at the same time. I can comment on this real quick from the Restream technology perspective. So how you can do that is there is a function called chat, chat relay. So you can actually respond to all uh, everyone who is watching like I'm doing right now, for example. I'm just going to put, put chat relay in the <laughs> chat. And you see how, how this is going to go to all of our platforms. So if you want to type up something and send it to all platforms simultaneously, such as a question, maybe a poll, maybe a call to action, that's one way to do it. Another way is if you're using Studio, like we're using right now, right 
at this moment, we're displaying comments from different platforms. So people who are watching on different platforms can see them on the screen and then they can all react, comment, send a follow-up question for something that was asked from a different platform. So how do you guys do that? And first and foremost, why do you choose to go to multiple platforms? We have a huge interest in diversity and reach. And as the leader of what we do, I am never not interested in reaching more. So I wholeheartedly believe that there are certain platforms that captivate certain audiences, but I want to reach out to and uh, attempt to retain some from every platform possible. So I think it's important to cross pollinate and, and cross germinate all platforms that you have access to, but so, and you can only create community amongst those various platforms when you pull some from the individual platforms. So I think if you cast a big net and you see what your engagement is, then you can personify and individualize a platform that directs to what you're doing and what you're producing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And also what I like about multi, multi-platform streaming, because that's what I do too for my show, is mm-hmm. I like to reach the audience where they are. I don't like to tell them, hey, this is my landing page. Whatever you like to do to consume your content, drop that and come to where I'm telling you to come, right? And mm-hmm. instead, you just say, hey, if you're spending all your time- We're available YouTube, everywhere. Yeah, just watch us there. If you're yeah. a Facebook person, if Facebook is your thing, stay there. We don't ask you to move or do anything. Just stay where mm-hmm. you're comfortable and we will bring the content to the space where you typically, you typically are. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another really good question right here. Let me- let me find it. Okay, here we go. This is a good one. How much content do you suggest putting out each week? This is a typical question of like, mm-hmm. what is too much? What is too little? What would you recommend based on your experience? Ooh, I am. That's a hard question. Yeah, it's hard because of the metrics. I think it depends on the size and the resource and the muscularity of the organizational division. And I also think it's related to the desired outcomes of whoever is putting out data. I believe that once a day is normal. There are some people who don't think that's feasible, but depending upon the size, the resource and the strategy, you need to do something. The wrong word is compete, but the right word is that gets leadership against all of the data, information, pictures, videos that are berating people's minds daily. So once a day for me and what we do is normal, at least something needs to be said about what you're doing, what you're planning, where you're going, what you're incentivizing. There are others who may say every other day, I think it really determines on the size of what you do and and how big you want it to go and where you want it to go. Yeah, absolutely. But once a day is hard. That's quite an investment of resources. Like my show is weekly. I do it once a week and it dominates half of my week already. That's how I feel about it. Another follow-up question here from Marcus that I think is also very important. How effective have scheduled video content as opposed to actual live content being? Do you see the difference between when you schedule a stream or schedule your appearance uh, live on social media versus when you just spontaneously appear? I can't speak for everybody, but my experience has been it is definitely more engagement when you do stuff live. And I've done and do pre-schedule things and I've noticed that there is a decrease of sorts in engagement and retention. So for whatever reason, the live engagement gets a much better or different, maybe is the better word, reaction from the pre-scheduled recordings.
Got you. That's very interesting opinion. Very different to what you hear from businesses. When you talk to social media strategists and marketers, they always say, oh gosh, events, scheduling, tell people, let people know in advance, set the reminders, send emails and stuff. But I also... I believe that there is power in just appearing online when you're available, when you're ready. So people who are doing going around their day, they're like, oh, wait a minute, this is interesting. Yeah. And you catch yeah. them in this moment. And a lot of times that is somehow, I know it's counterintuitive, but somehow it is, it can be more engaging. Yeah, well, um, especially when you're dealing with matters of faith. Um, yeah. It may be different for business owners and stuff like that because the two mentalities and intentions are very different. When you're dealing with matters of faith and spirituality, that spontaneity is lodged in and who we are and what we want and what we're accustomed to as a people. Awesome. Uh, we're going to go back to a couple more questions that I have for you in terms of growth for your audience. Um, and then we'll wrap up with a couple of personal questions here. So based on your experience, so a lot of people were asking about engagement and how to grow your presence online. Which platforms did you get the most traction on when you started? And today, what are the most like best performing social media channels? We were, so Facebook is home for us. Twitter is like vacation home for us, but who shocked me most was YouTube. YouTube, from an evangelistic perspective, was where we learned that there were people that still didn't know who we were, what we had to say. The most questions were generated from YouTube. And so I don't, I can't speak to the vascularity or the power or strength of either platform against the other. What I will say is for what we do, we had learned the Facebook stuff. When we launched out onto the YouTube stuff, it was crazy. We had no clue where the people were coming from. And it was an extreme increase, not just in viewership, but also in engagement on there. So that's why I'm a huge proponent and huge advocate of go everywhere. Use every platform you can and whatever resources or software you can to corroborate those platforms so that you get the message out to as many as possible. That's that's great. And just for those um, who don't know, I just added your YouTube channel. Uh, it's All Nation Chicago. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, the channel has over 85,000 followers. So it's a very successful channel in terms of their uh, the number of subscribers. And those are the, just the subscribe people, right? So how many people mm-hmm. also show up and watch? It's even a bigger number. And on average, you have like thousands and thousands of views per each of your your videos. So that's definitely, that's a good indicator that your growth strategy was successful. Uh, what would be your key tips on growing the audience? And I know you mentioned that some of those things are, are basically based on your messaging. Some of those things just happen. You didn't even know why your YouTube grew so fast, but what would be your advice for people who really want to get there, who want to get those like close to hundred thousand followers on, your, on their YouTube? What would be your tips for them? There's a lot of things you can do, but I think the dominant mentality should be to diversify your content. You want to make sure that whatever you're putting out is not monotonous, especially now. I keep emphasizing that because we are leading up against so much fear and uncertainty and spontaneity. We, you, People are experiencing, I was doing a study the other day, this is a very real thing. Psychologists are developing a theory on Zoom fatigue <laughs> because people are tired of being in front of the computer. So you have to make it worth people's time. And if you make it worth people's time, you make it worth the attention. And so I think you have to just come up with creative ways to diversify your content. What are you talking about? Is it current events? 
Is it biblical stories? Is it musical? Is it for the children? Is it uh, helpful advice, controversial? Or I want to hear another thing that gets a lot of feedback is unpopular opinion. When you have a stance or an idea on something that is the opposite of what the majority is doing, that also has great impact and great viewership on you. And so I think it's about diversified content that brings people uh, to your page and creates a traffic that you need to garner momentum. Awesome. So this is mostly a pre-COVID question, but I was curious, you mentioned analytics and tracking the results of a digital presence. So I was curious if there is a difference, a major difference in the type of demographics uh, in your community that you reach mostly via live streaming versus in-person, like for example, generational or any other demographical uh, criteria that you track, that you see that mainly these people are watching live versus these people are coming in person obviously back in the days when coming in person was possible? There hasn't been a huge difference, but there has been some spikes and some increases in the generations. For example, there are a lot more baby boomers and those beyond that are watching now than we're attending. We have a significant amount of baby boomers and beyond that attend. But we've noticed a change in that since we have not been able to really gather at full capacity. There are other people who are in Generation X, Millennials, and all of that stuff that we're attending and watching that we're having to make sure we maintain their attention because they have so many options. We're all, again, on the same platforms. And they're having to choose between church, spiritual service and TikToks and auctions for <laughs> and spicy noodle challenges and all kinds of stuff. So we're having to make sure it remains interesting, but that, yeah, that, that's been the primary difference we've experienced. Got you. Uh, in the beginning, when we talked about how preaching was different in the older days versus now, you mentioned that there was a little bit of resistance over technology. So I'm curious if you have experienced any resistance or I would say maybe hesitation towards the how much you use technology and live streaming in your preaching, in the way you lead your church uh, today from your congregation. I have, for the most part, been in advocacy of technology. I'm going to tell you the most challenging time for me. I was still not resolved about the fact that the world is what it is today around Easter. And I was trying to conceptualize what the international celebratory day of our faith would look like if we could not gather and I could not be in front of people. And we did a production called The Autopsy of Jesus Christ. And uh, it was very difficult for me. I made it through it. I navigated it through because we had to prepare and pre-plan for a full-scale production from top to bottom and with hopes that it would get historic viewership. And it did. So it was a lot of parts that went into it. It's beyond just cameras and mics. It's about studio. It's about placement. It's about the body of information you're giving out. It's about volunteerism. It's about the timing of the production. So the resistance that we felt and, and occasionally do feel is when we have to do the live stuff, it's a breeze for us. The pre-produced stuff is a bit more of a challenge because you've got to create collaboration among several moving parts to make it excellent. Got you. Uh, but do you ever hear from the community like, hey, you guys are too digital. This is not the 
the right way for church to be like. You know, so not anymore. We used really? to, ironically, we really used to. We under we went a large level of criticism, um, of judgment, of all of that. About there was a huge issue, maybe even just a year ago, about mm -hmm. how online church was not real church and it was against the way of the faith and all of this stuff. I mean, like we, we were a part of entire group chats and entire forums where they were bashing us for creating what we call cyber church and e-campuses and all of that. The problem now is we are all on the same playing field in the leveling ground. And so everybody's a cyber church. So luckily we were ahead of the game in investment mainly and in that we had already started spending money and preparing teams to be able to captivate and to be able to land on the internet. I think this is an exceptional example of how like criticism and resistance, mm -hmm. how you basically responded to that with consistency and yes, yeah, st sticking to your convictions and saying, hey, we believe in this. We believe that digital is the future of mm -hmm. worship organization and face-based content is going to be digital. We mm -hmm. believe in this, we stick with this, and here we go. Now, what would those people say? to churches and organizations that were already steps ahead of them when sure. we all were forced into the situation of sure. okay, now everyone is a cyber church, as you said. Yes, that's a good lesson to, sure. uh, to learn, I think, for everybody. So you oversee a conglomerate of uh, autonomous ministries under All Nations Network. Mm -hmm. Do you have any special stories of a small ministry growing big uh, with the help of online video? That's a great question. I do have examples of people who shifted their influence because they were willing to redirect their investments to online ministry. Prior to, there were people from a missional standpoint that would put their money and their investment and their resources in food and water and outreaches, which is a predominant anchoring in what we do as believers. But at my admonition, there are others that have decided to equally invest in things that make them distinct on the world wide web and on the digital landscape and their influence has increased. We have a massive conviction about the power of influence. Influence can do more than cash. Sometimes people have name recognition. If people have the opportunity to learn your reputability, sometimes it can do more for you than money. And so with that lean in, I think there are people that have changed their investment strategy and direction because of it. Absolutely, we have testimonies of that. Awesome. That's great. This is actually a good transition to um, one of my closing questions. Uh, so I read your bio and uh, says that you provide spiritual support for professional athletes, politicians, business executives, entertainers. So how is spiritual, like spiritual work and guidance with those high net worth individuals different mm -hmm. from your typical work with your congregation of just you know, ordinary people coming to connect with you and share their faith? Beautiful question. Um, learning how to support and direct and guide and teach those that are in front of you is one lane. That's one aisle. It's one skill. But then learning how to do those same set things for people who are suspicious of the church, who don't have the time to be there, whose lives don't afford them the benefit of being a part of a local congregation every week because of their influence, because of their achievement, is a totally different discussion. And what I've learned is everybody in life, number one, but then also 
people who have achieved and who are victims of usury and who are targets, whether it's for influence or whatever, they need confidants. And th that confidentiality creates a sense of focus in them to continue to pursue continue to pursue their careers so when you're dealing with an nfl player an nba player you're dealing with a actor you're dealing with a politician you're dealing with people who don't have the right sometimes to be human and so when you create a safe space and you create a vault where they can just be whoever they are without anticipate anticipation or expectation it creates massive focus for them because they get the relief I mean, the reprieve of their stresses, of their challenges, of their decisions, of their families that make them human again. What I've learned in my life is that those people in those high influence positions or categories, they fight to be human. And sometimes the public does not allow them the right to be that. And so when they are robbed of that to be human, they end up showing up in poor life decisions and they're not the best mom or the best dad or the best friend they could be. So they want pastors and they want listeners, but uh, most importantly, they want confidants and a place to entrust their secrets to without he hearing it on a tabloid or making it used as a weapon against them. Wow. Wow. That's such a beautiful role you have, right? So this, it's very empowering and inspiring. And at the same time, it is challenging. It's a, it's a big thing to carry, right? That you yeah. have to person. Well, I think it's humbling. It's, you have to, it's humbling, but it's also very simple. I think as content creators, as faith leaders, we all have to remember the power of humanity. I have often said in some of my messages that I don't think pastors should preach without a basic understanding of sociology, because you're putting content into environments and audiences, but also demographics and statistics that if you are estranged from, you're not going to know how to design it for. So one of the things that I've been able to do is understand the power of human pain. And no matter if you are in the slums of a ghetto or if you are serving in the White House, one of the common languages that we all speak is pain. And if you learn how to speak that, then people will trust you with what's going on in their lives. Awesome. Beautiful. So you visited over 19 nations in different countries back in the days when traveling was possible. Correct. Um, which country made the biggest impact on your spiritual journey? Just curious, since I'm an international person here, before I finish any sentence, people know it. I'm not from here originally. Uh, but I'm always curious to hear about people who traveled uh, a lot and saw the world. What was one of your biggest impacts on, on how you are today? I have two. Uh, I... That's good. That's fine. <laughs> Number one, by far, without question, would be Queenstown, South Africa. It was my very first international trip, but it changed my view on the world as I know it. A strong runner-up would be Buenos Aires, Argentina. They helped me to realize my influence in a great way. So I have sentimental value for Queenstown, South Africa. I was able to go and fly a small jet to Johannesburg and then go to Mozambique and do like a, a couple of quick trips in and out. But Buenos Aires was like the Latin American LA. So I had so much fun shopping and eating and it was very good. So I would say it was South Africa. I love how you mentioned like shopping and eating. So like that oh, human yes. part, part of you that also enjoys oh, yes. even on those business trips and related to your, to your work. Like yes. you, you stay human and that's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. When people try to schedule me to preach, my immediate next inquiry is what are the restaurants around there? Are there any malls? Is there anything fun to do? Yeah. 
That's amazing. If you're ever in Austin, please let us know. That's where we're we'll based. Be. And there's a lot of great food. There's a lot of great oh, stuff. I, I don't know. That, yeah. you, have you been to Austin? Absolutely. Yeah, let us know. We'll take you out because it sounds like it sounds like we all no one is a foreigner to fun and a good day and a good good enjoyable meal. That's awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. This was such a pleasure having you uh, here. We're going to wrap up. For those who joined in the very last minute, my guest today was Dr. Matthew Stevenson. He's a global influencer, the founder and the senior pastor of All Nations Worship Assembly. He's joining us today from Chicago, and we're talking about the opportunities that lie in live streaming and digital presence for churches and faith-based organizations. Thank you so much. And yeah, I would, yeah, we would definitely stay in touch. Thank you for great questions, great, great answers. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, going to just play. I'm going to do a little outro closing part and then, yeah, you can stay online so we can chat a little bit after that. And for our audience, thank you very much for everyone who showed up today. I really appreciate your questions. A lot of great questions today. So I'm going to send some links in the comments to all the uh, platforms where we went live. So if you want to check out uh, Pastor Stevenson's work and his website, you can do that. I will also add some information about Restream. If you are thinking about running your own live show similar to Friday Lives, I'll show you how you can do that. Other than that, thank you again for watching. You all have a wonderful, absolutely amazing Fridays. And I will see you next week. Have a great weekend.